0: Good morning. Do try to ignore the fact that I just spilt water on my trousers. It is from here. <laughs> Can I have the first slide up? Oh, brilliant there. So um, I wonder what you think of when you think of um, the word authority. Uh, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Good. We have good and bad feelings, perhaps, about you know This is what I think of, what came to me when I thought of authority. I thought, first of all, of when I was a, a teenager, and I did get into trouble with the fire service and the police service, and thankfully didn't end up with Eric and Arthur visiting me, <laughs> but that would have been great, but... Uh, it came to a shuddering halt when I, when I ended up with a criminal record at 13. That was my early experience of authority, and not a good experience. But then, actually, there is also good authority. I thought um, of authority at work in a commercial environment. And um, I, I, I always worked for small companies, uh, 100 people or thereabouts, or sometimes fewer. And I, I relished the fact that we had to break norms because to survive in, with, in Silicon Valley with a small, a small company, you have to go outside the box. Uh, you have to go against the rules sometimes. Uh, and I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the fact that we got things done. That when my manager said to me, as the centurion said to um, his servants, and when my CEO says to me, thanks very much for your opinion, Chris, but you know what? We're not going to do that. We're doing this. We did it. And when staff who worked for me came to me with their views, and we might say something like that, I might say, that's great, that really good points, but you know what? We're not doing that. This is what we're doing. We did it. We just made, had to make things work. It was a kind of a very direct authority, hierarchical authority, if you like. Um, actually, in my work at Manchester Airport... Um, I always, when I first started that, I really enjoyed the fact that actually we've got um, out of seven levels of authority at the airport, we've got level six authority. There's only like the police and the senior managers who can do more than us. So we can go almost everywhere on the planes, on the tarmac, the critical parts. But I really enjoyed just you know those barriers, the tensor barriers. I really enjoyed just doing this, <laughs> just walking through them. So much so. Then my Catholic, Roman Catholic friend who comes around with me, when we go to the parish, said, Chris, you do that, because you enjoy it. And I said, so I just do this. And people are watching, saying, what, what is that guy actually doing? He's just going in and out of the barriers. I said to Alison, when I, if I get very old and lose my marbles, just put me in a little room with a tensor barrier and a coffee, and I'll just do this all day. Different type of authority. Childish, but I enjoy it. I enjoyed that fact. Um, actually, before I come to that, <laughs> before I come to that, yeah, I've given it away now, but authority in churches is different. Right? Authority in churches is different. Some churches are quite hierarchical, so and it can work well. So, um, Catholic churches tend to have a hierarchy, uh, Anglicans tend to have a hierarchy. Um, in a different way, some Pentecostal churches, for example, have quite strong hierarchies. It can work well. It can also be controlling if it goes wrong. Uh, and it can go wrong, as, as we know. Um, in Baptist churches, we're, we're different. Um, the thing that defines a Baptist church isn't actually how we do baptism, although people seem to think that. It's the fact that we are congregationally governed that we have authority in the members and the congregation. That's what we choose to do. When it works well, it works brilliantly well. However, often I do think it's a lot more like herding cats. In Baptist churches, you're kind of encouraging and persuading and wooing and charming people. Just, just, Can we just do this, please? And I've often thought um, in Baptist churches, I wish we just had a bishop who would come in and say, shut up, we're doing this. Get on with it. Sometimes that would be good, wouldn't it? And then lastly, um, people react different ways to authority. Some people enjoy authority. Um, actually, Alison is one of the, probably one of the very, very few people I've ever met who always follows the speed limit. And as far as I'm aware, has never exceeded a speed limit, unless it was an emergency. just doesn't do it. And her view is, if you need to break the speed limit, you should have left home earlier, Right? And myself, having now attended several of that speed awareness, <laughs> speed awareness courses down the road, feel I have no authority to respond to that. Different views of authority. I wonder what you think when you think of this word authority. It's the word uh, in the passage today, very much so. wonder what it means for you. It's a mixed bag, isn't it? You know, it's a mixed bag, and it's in this uh, very much um, in this passage today, in Luke. We are still going through Luke. We started in June, I think. Um, we're going to go through to November, to Luke 8. That seems a long time, but when we look at the Bible, there is nothing more important than the words and the life of Jesus himself. Nothing more important, uh, very much so today as well. So I'm going re-read to reread this incident today. Um, the first one, just to embed it in our grey matter. And and I'll pause as we go through and make a couple of comments, and then we'll zoom in on just this one word, authority. Okay? So there's the passage again. So, after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearings of, of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. So first of all, a Roman centurion, a pagan, that was the religion of Roman paganism, meaning they worshipped the sun, the stars, uh, the created things, trees, for example. And um, there's another centurion in the Bible, in the New Testament, not that dissimilar, who's called Cornelius in Acts 10 and 11. And Cornelius is also a pagan pagan worshipping the trees and etc and god hears his prayers and sends peter in this case we don't know if this fellow was religious or not but we do know he cared about the jewish people Uh, he sends the jewish elders as it says there and then going on when they came to jesus so this is the jewish elders they appealed to him earnestly saying this, this fellow is worthy. He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people. It is he who built our synagogue for us. So I think that's interesting because um, the Jewish elders also have faith in Jesus. We often think of the Jewish elders, the authorities, as the baddies, don't we? They're the bad guys who wanted to get Jesus down. And some of them certainly did, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of the scribes. Nevertheless, Here's a group of Jewish elders who clearly believe in Jesus. So they weren't all out to get Jesus. Let's carry on. Verse 6. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. It's interesting, isn't it? The centurion, high as he is, seems to almost be embarrassed To have Jesus come to him, perhaps embarrassed to have him in his house. That's what it seems to be. And then this great phrase, But only speak the word, only speak the word, and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, there's only two places that the Bible records Jesus being amazed, according to the NIV translation. Only two places where that word is used of Jesus. Anyone know where the other place is? Where Jesus is amazed at people's lack of faith he goes into his hometown right i think it's mark six and people there just don't listen to him we know you you're just jesus and and these are the jewish people who should know the scriptures and jesus is amazed at their lack of faith amazed and he says in mark six and he could do, do no miracles there except one or two and here jesus is amazed at this fellow's depth of faith his own people's lack of faith and this outsider, this pagan's depth of faith. The ones who know Yahweh, who are the Elohim, Adonai—all the names that God is used for God in the Old Testament—they don't believe in Him. And this chap, who knows nothing of that, says, "I believe in You. I believe in Jesus." Not even in Israel, the worshippers of Yahweh, the God of the Jews. Not even even among the followers of Christ, says Jesus, "I have not." I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And they, um, the, this chap is healed on the way back. I'm going to stop because um, the widow of Nain is another fantastic account, but that's for another day. Let's stay on this one. And I want to go back to this word. This, uh, the soldier says, I too am a man of authority. I too am a man under authority. And what does he mean by that? Let's just... Um, We've already actually had a message on authority from Sam Sam Rochel in July. And I'll pick up one or two of the things that he said as we go through. Here we see that the word of Jesus is sufficient to alter the fundamental laws of our universe. Only speak the word. Only speak the word. Not just here, but throughout scripture, we're given examples of the authority of God's word. Here 's a quick tour to remind us of the nature of god 's authority. These only speak the word authority. In the beginning, God speaks the universe into being. This is the tarantula nebula, one hundred and sixty thousand years it 's taken the light to reach us. There are pictures from James Webb, the James Webb Telescope of images, where the light is taking billions of years to reach us, and yet, before that, God was. God was active in creation, even before that. God speaks the universe into being, and God says his word, let there be light. He speaks into being the created order. And God sets the boundaries. God says, because with um, authority come boundaries, comes order as well. And God says, there needs to be order. Eat from this tree. But don't eat from this tree. That's the way it will work. That's the way of order. And later on, God says, here are some rules. Ten rules. Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Don't murder. Don't worship other gods. And it will go well for you. So God, with his authority, sets the boundaries. Rules for us to live well. We see in the Bible as well, God and Jesus' authority over nature. Seas are parted. Diseases are healed. People are woken from the dead. Authority over nature in God's word. In certain places of the Bible, um, in certain times, we see these. The, The Bible isn't full of these. As Christians, we sometimes think that the Bible has these miracles from beginning to end. It actually doesn't. God uses miracles at certain times to authenticate himself. So, for example, in the Old Testament, through Moses... Elisha, Elijah, and then Daniel, we see these miracles of nature. But you could read whole swathes of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and not see these. God uses these miracles at specific times to authenticate himself. Again, in the New Testament, we see these miracles of nature in Jesus and the apostles, but not throughout the letters. Authority over disease, authority over sickness and even death. Then into the New Testament, Ultimately and climactically, we see the authority of Jesus himself. Again, authority over of, of sickness, over death. In fact, I think we could perhaps summarize in the New Testament the authority of Jesus, that Jesus has authority over sin and nature and death. That's the authority that Jesus brings, ultimate, powerful, breathtaking authority, incredible authority. But then we see Something totally unexpected, totally unexpected, hand in hand with this authority. Jesus gives up this authority. He gives it up more than once. Way back in ages past, Jesus gave up his ultimate authority to be with the Father and the Spirit. The Word became flesh, John tells us. God became man, a, a, a baby. A different kind of miracle, because this is a miracle of love, because God so loved the world. Jesus gave up his divine authority, and as Paul will describe later to the church in Philippi, when Paul is saying, your nature should be like this, your nature should be like Jesus, he says, who being in very nature God, did not try to exploit his relationship with God, but he emptied himself He took the form of a servant, being found in human form, being made in human likeness. And then the next line, he became obedient to death. Ultimately, the ultimate way of giving up your authority is to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus lays aside this authority. And actually, in his time on earth, as though to teachers, Jesus chooses also to lay aside his authority. He was only able to do what the Father willed in his time on earth, Born in a back street in Bethlehem, though Jesus then gains authority doesn 't he gains authority, he gains followers. Uh, a moral authority, an intellectual authority, a charismatic authority, he suddenly starts to pick up a different kind of authority, and people flock to him because of his authority, and other people are scared of him because of his authority. The centurion sees it this is authority He has all the authority to teach, to heal, even to awaken the dead, but then, once again, as though to teach us, Jesus does something completely unexpected. He shows us a third way when it comes to real authority. I spoke about this two weeks ago. He says things like, if someone strikes you unjustly on the right cheek, offer them the left. Not because you're a doormat, but to say, I won't strike you back, but I won't step back. This is a new kind of authority. He says, if you want to become the first of all, you have to aim to become the last of all. He says, if you want the most authority, you must first of all seek the least authority. This is new teaching on authority that we've never heard before. He says, the greatest among you must be the one who's most like a child. Radical, different, but exactly what the world needed to hear. And then just before his arrest, at the very time when his authority on earth was at its peak, when he's following is secure, his reputation guaranteed. The night before he's arrested, he puts a towel around his waist, gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his followers. He could have said, he should have said, Peter, James, John, can you sort these feet out? That's what should have happened, shouldn't it? That's what should have happened. And the, and the disciples are aghast. Not my feet, says Peter. You're not doing this. And then his last act as a man is to give up even his life. Submitting, succumbing to the will, the authority of the Father. And then the last words of Jesus, almost the last words of Jesus, are again about authority. In the Matthew 28 commission, Jesus says, All authority, all authority in heaven on earth, has now been given to me. His authority now encompasses not just earthly matters, but heavenly ones as well. He's back where he belongs with all the authority of the Father and the Spirit, restored to ultimate authority, and he authorizes us to go to all nations. That's the Matthew 28 commission. So, then, what do we do about this kind of authority? What is our response to this contrasting authority, different ends of the spectrum, it seems to be authority over all things just say only say the word, only say the word, and yet authority that gives way that lays aside the authority that has the power to lay aside and take the form of a servant this is christ like authority, and so as we um, We're approaching the end. I wanted to try to summarize and and, and, uh, think about our response to this kind of authority. This Christ-like authority. What is our response? Perhaps three questions for us to think about in the last minutes. First question. Have we really handed over authority of our lives to God? It's easy to think we have, isn't it? Because we're Christians, so we've given God the authority of our lives, and that's good. But... Kind of, because often, usually, almost always, there are bits of our life that we haven't really handed over to God. Or that we've handed over, but we keep clawing back. It might be um, an unhealthy habit that we can't get rid of. It might be our attitude to wealth. It might be our temper or our language or something else, where somehow God's authority isn't usually there, isn't usually there. And we have to hand this thing over. We may have to do it repeatedly. Submitting to this authority repeatedly is hard. But God welcomes those who want to try. Not those who don't need a doctor. Not those who are perfect. Actually, they do need a doctor. Just don't realize that. But those of us who know we're a work in progress. God welcomes God, those who know they need mercy and grace, who know I need a new leaf here, Lord. God wants to work with us on that. Second question, which is a different way of thinking about God's authority. Do we resist allowing others to have authority over us? As Christ did in submission, he allowed others to have authority over him. When he washed the feet of his disciples, he took, lower, he took a place of low authority. That's hard. It's hard uh, in churches. I think it's hard in this church as well. But we should all, for example, me too, be able to take constructive criticism from each other that's brought to us in the right spirit. You know, when people come to me, as has happened, and said, I, you know, I think that was completely wrong, whatever, that situation, that project, the way you did that. I might think I disagree with 90% of what you say, but usually, almost always, I would say there's a nugget of truth in what they're saying that I need to listen to and learn from. Do we have that, and I'm learning as well, that ability to afford authority to each other? Are we good at affording authority to our leaders? Not delegating stuff for them to do. (laughs) That's not affording authority. But actually, giving precedence to their opinion over ours. Of course, if we believe that God has uh, helped us as a Baptist church to choose leaders, then of course there should be accountability. We should be able to ask questions. But there should also be the sense that we give them authority. And frankly, the lead minister even more so. Or thirdly, are we struggling because we pray for God's authority in a situation, but we just don't see that? It can cause us to doubt God's, God's authority or question why he doesn't use it. Many of us have things that we've prayed for four years. You know, I have. And we don't see them happening. Um, you know, Lord, if you would only say the word. I know in the things that I pray for and have not happened yet. If God only said the word, it would happen. But God so far has not said the word. And I'm sure many of us have situations that we've prayed into for decades. And God hasn't said the word yet. But you know, God waits until he's ready before acting. And that's hard. But also, God waits until we're ready. And I think sometimes that's even harder. And God can form us and shape us in the waiting And form us to be more like him. In the waiting. If if that's your situation. Keep praying. Keep seeking God. Be persistent. All will be well in the end. And if it isn't well. It isn't the end. I'm going to ask Claire and the band. If you want to come up. And and perhaps start playing quietly. And uh, I'd like us to sit. There's three big areas there, but I think if you sit and ask the Holy Spirit to show you just one of those, he will do that. Just one of those. I think most of those areas apply to most of us, or three to me, but but, but they're too big. There's too too much to think about. So use a minute just to ask the Holy Spirit to show you which of those areas he wants you to think about, he wants you to pray into today, and then pray into that yourself in the quietness, And then I'll finish at the end. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Being in very nature God, he did not exploit his relationship with God, but he emptied himself. He became a servant. He became obedient to death. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Father, as a people who want to be shaped, who want to be made, who want to be formed by you. And Lord, whichever of those areas apply to us today, we pray for this, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hand over authority of our lives to you today, this week. Show us that area of our life, Father, that habit, that way of speaking that we need to hand over to you and help us to do that again. Lord, we pray for the humility to accept authority from each other. If that's something we struggle with, Lord, we pray, Father, you would bend us, remake us, Lord, in your image, Father. Help us to submit to one another as you did. And Lord, if we're struggling today for something that We just want to see your authority in that situation, in that person's life. Perhaps it's our life, but we haven't seen it so far. Father, we pray, Father, for persistence. We pray, Lord, for more faith. We ask these things, Lord, in the name and in the authority of Jesus. Amen.